Hey, we're back with part two of Bonnie and Maude, talking about Marilyn Monroe with our guest Tom Blunt. We last left off thinking about why we are obsessed with the inner lives of celebrities. These days, there's a lot more digging and a lot more intrigue into actresses and actors' private lives in a way that there wasn't as much before just because there were only so many resources. I mean, Mm -hmm. now you have, you know, websites dedicated to, you know, thousands of websites dedicated to one person Mm -hmm. and, um, you know, weekly magazines, there's like, I don't know, 50 people, US Weekly Star, everything. Um, But back then there were only like a few. Yeah, there were like a dozen magazines that everyone read, you know, like, and then your like local papers... Mm-hmm. and all of that i know there was only so many people that they could cover right hmm. so do you think if marilyn existed today she would uh take advantage of social media and like start putting her personal information out there so she could have control over it i don't know she i mean in the the bit of reading that i did about her it seemed like she wanted to be a very private person like mm-hmm. she wasn't trying to you know put her personal life out there but it was because I don't know, maybe this is just my take on it, but because people were so, like, crazed by her. Yeah. I mean, and you can see why she's incredibly magnetic. Even though I didn't love watching The Seven Year Itch, like, every moment she was on screen, I was like, this is great. And then yeah. she'd leave and I'd be like, I'm bored. Yeah. And I don't know what it is that just you get drawn in. And so I don't think she'd necessarily be putting it out there, but people would definitely be digging it. Mm-hmm. She did have a lot of scandal, too. So, you know, she had all of these marriages and like the white house ties and everything so there's always some new reason for them to come for her i can imagine if she was alive today she she probably wouldn't be that different at all mm-hmm. it would be the same sort of situation where she's just under deep cover doing the same kind of interviews and promos and stuff that she did before mm-hmm. and that we would just never know um it kind of reminds me a little of uh the, the only actresses that i think that come close in that way are people like sharon stone who you know there's kind of nothing really going on with her that I'm interested in, I'll say right now. But, uh, you know, in her heyday, people were following everywhere. They wanted to know about her sexuality because of basic instinct. They wanted to know everything that she did. And also, she was one of those people where she came from, you know, some small town and just, like, showed up in New York and within 24 hours or something, someone came up to her and was like, oh, my God, you're the most beautiful person I've ever seen. You need to be, like, on a magazine cover. And then it happened like that. She was just that hot. And, um, and she also was one of those people where crazy things kept happening to her she had like had all these brushes with death and all of these scandalous relationships and so uh which she didn't seem to be perpetuating for the attention it just seemed that she's one of those people where what was it i think before she came to the city was a model i saw i watched like the e true hollywood story in her if you can't tell (laughs) on sharon yeah on sharon because it was fascinating because she had a thing where she was like clotheslined somehow and had like a horrible scar across her neck that almost like took her head off you know, and they had a, she had to have plastic surgery before she could be a model. And then, like, you know, later on she had a stroke and she was... Oh, my God. You know, and then her... In, like, more recently, in the early 2000s, I think, her and her husband were at a private exhi- exhibition tour of the reptile house at the mm-hmm. zoo and a Komodo dragon bit part of her husband's foot off. Like, she's just one of those people that crazy <laughs> things happen to. And so it's like, even if she wanted to stay... If she wanted to be incredibly private... Um, it would just keep, you know, she would get dragged out kicking and screaming because of, you know, reptile incidents and <laughs> the like. And there's, I mean, there's that. And there's also, there's that balance between wanting a private life, but also having that need for attention. Right. I mean, if, 
if you are an actor, it, you're someone who a lot of attention is being paid to, um, you're in the spotlight, you're putting yourself out there. I mean, I'm not going to psychoanalyze, but maybe huh. part of that comes from like the need for having people watching you, from having that attention of an audience. Um, and for some people, they can just leave it at the stage or on the screen, but right. for some people that need for attention follows them. And right. Or, so... or, uh, or maybe it's even like a kind of a talent for living, which is to say maybe making really questionable decisions that normal people wouldn't make, which, you know, maybe eight times out of 10 results in something sort of interesting, but not disastrous happening. And then there, of course, there were those two other times yeah. where, you know, you lose half your foot. So it's maybe a kind of a thing where someone's brain is just a little different and it just results in them going down a slightly different path and it's enough to where the decisions they make catch people's attention. True. You know, like someone is just one step out of our reality and then it makes everyone turn and look at them. Mm -hmm. I mean, and that brings me to the question. Here we have Marilyn Monroe, who was one of the most watched women. She was always in the public eye. She was being scrutinized and criticized and watched all the time. Um, but in a way, wasn't she sort of the most powerful woman in America with her way to just allure people and almost like, I don't know, did she control them or was she, was she victimized by, you know, being in this public celebrity space? Well, you know, only as much control as a woman's sexuality allows her, right. you know, she, she wanted to have more serious roles and clearly that didn't work out in the long run. She wanted to be on theater and not just be playing ditzy blondes and that just didn't happen. It's, it's an intense power, but it's a very limiting power. And if you happen to be like so beautiful that you're practically deformed, you know, and no one's ever going to take you seriously, what can you really do other than like take mm -hmm. the money and run? I like the so beautiful you're practically deformed. Yeah, no, I wanted to talk about that. Like yeah. that, can you can you elaborate on that idea? Oh well, I've um, that's you know uh, there's actually a really good character in uh, Infinite Jest about who is like that where she is a you know so beautiful from a young age that has just ruined everything in her entire life and every relationship, including with her father, you know, and uh, and uh, she actually. You know, again, spoiler alert. I'm sure if, if anyone who wanted to read Infinite Jest has already read it or tried to read it by now. I've tried. Yeah. <laughs> well, she winds up joining this league uh, that's an advocacy group for deformed people where you take their vow or whatever and then you wear a veil for the rest of your life so that people can't look at you. And so she joins the order and wears this veil and you, um, you know, and she basically, it's the only thing that allows her life to be normal after that. Uh, and then there is some speculation in the book whether or not she actually may truly be deformed because, um, you know, of an incident, you know, an accident that happened um, where maybe she was really beautiful and now is deformed. But the way she presents herself kind of is that she, you know, it's the only option that she had to live a normal life and make meaningful connections with people. Hmm. So, I, and I, I think about that a lot because, um, you know, I have friends who are actors and you know, uh, especially, you know, and in fact, my sister is an actress and, you know, has been working in the city and works as a model. And I look at the problems that she has in her life sometimes. And I think what on earth, like how, and how many ways would your life be different slash easier if you didn't look like that, you know, 
it's 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 an unfortunate side effect of like the male gaze and all of this ridiculous sexism in our culture um but you know like we create people who want to make them to maximize their beauty to the mm -hmm. utmost extent and then um if you do that you're just like uh you're in the spotlight everywhere you go all the time like how do you how do you cope well it's also the lose-lose situation of like getting plastic surgery is you know you have to have you know the perfect nose the perfect breast the perfect body mm -hmm. plastic surgery is the way to that mm -hmm. and then women who have had too much plastic surgery i think of like heidi from that show <laughs> the hills <laughs> um uh where it's like oh but now you've had too much and now you are deformed yeah. you've deformed mm -hmm. your own body in yeah. the name of trying to become more beautiful in essence, she looks like a barbie but in reality, it's so unreal, it's grotesque. Right. And so that's just the lose-lose situation of trying to make yourself into this beauty ideal. That's, like, very old, I think, because of, you know, the, probably the stories of, like, um, the substances people used to wipe on their faces from the beginning of time that, were, of course, are toxic yeah. You know, substances and chemicals and minerals. I mean, that, it was just called makeup at the time. I yeah. Think. I mean, even now makeup has some terrible chemicals oh, sure. in it but like the idea that you would be actively hastening the ravaging of your face by yeah. like scrubbing like coal onto it and like but it's know, working for now but it's working for now i'm beautiful everyone look at me and then later you'll just need more of it yeah yeah um on a personal note i remember so clearly being 13 and my mother telling me you know it's such a relief that you're cute but not too beautiful <laughs> what do you say to that thanks mom I said thanks, but clearly it has stuck in my brain for a long time. Yeah, that's amazing. What a hard thing for a mother to have to like look for and wish on a daughter because I think in you know, maybe in an earlier time it would be like you would want the most beautiful daughter imaginable so that you could like, you know, marry her to somebody prestigious. Yeah. It's kind of a weird um, you know, later wave of feminism <laughs> to say like, hmm, thoroughly average girl is exactly what we need in this family <laughs> right like you're 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 cute as a button you like yeah but you're not gonna you know get yourself in any trouble or anything well thank god i still found a man oh, <laughs> oh god <laughs> take that um, mom <laughs> take that mom <laughs> should we talk about don't bother to knock a little more sure i mean um i was also reminded just now of um how Marilyn's first marriage was essentially an arranged marriage when she was like 16 or 17. Um, she had been, you know, in the foster system and she'd been living with various friends of the family and family members. And she struck up a relationship with a boy and her current guardians like couldn't look after her anymore. Mm. So, they like begged this family of this boy to let him marry her so she could go live with them and not have to go back into the foster system. Huh. And then he went off to the war. Wow. Really? Apparently. That, I mean, that really does a lot for this role that she did then. Like there, there are a lot of similarities. I hadn't realized about that background. Um, I, I enjoyed the movie overall it, it just it kept taking these turns that i could not believe i i kept thinking like there's no way this is going to happen and definitely not that and then 
these things would happen. Right. <laughs> yeah. Um, Tom, how did you come across this movie and what made you, what made it stick with you so much? It was much? on Netflix Instant Watch. Uh, <laughs> and so I was at a friend's house and we were, uh, I think it just, you know, was one of those things where let's take a look at this. Uh, I was interested in it because I think I had probably at that time just seen um, Pick Up on South Street, the Sam Fuller movie, which was made, I think, I guess the following year. And it has the same main actor in it. Is it Richard Widmore? I'll be so embarrassed if I got that wrong. Uh, the guy, he's the guy in Don't Bother to Knock, who's like the one in the, the mm-hmm. hotel room across the hall or whatever. Mm-hmm. And um, he's kind of a really unlikely sort of leading man, kind of shifty, which is why he was in all of these like kind of noir and thriller movies, I guess. Um, and then uh, I was just fascinated because you've got Anne Bancroft in mm-hmm. a surprising, you know, role that isn't terribly notable, but it's always fun to watch someone hustle, you know. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, and then Marilyn, which I think my friend Colin, who I was watching it with at the time, said that she just is a freak and that she has an extra part of her brain that is completely aware of what the camera is seeing. So, she, and she's playing to that, you know. And, uh, and so that's, you know, I, I started to... I think appreciating her a little more when you realize how rare a gift that is, as we kind of talked about before. And then it just kind of stuck in my head, you know, because I'd seen um, The Seven Year Itch and I hadn't been terribly impressed with it. There was sort of, you know, as a young homosexualist, there was sort of nothing for me to grab onto in that movie (laughs) at all. And then, um, you know, and then later I saw... Some Like It Hot. Oh, yeah, Some Like It Hot. And I've, you know was really turned off by that movie for all sorts of other reasons. So, you know, when I think of her, I always just sort of think of her. I don't think of her in The Seven-Year Itch. I think of her, you know, in sitting in that chair trying on jewelry in front of the mirror. Mm -hmm. That is just sort of the moment that, you know, she occupies in my imagination. Mm -hmm. I I had trouble fitting it into my brain. (laughs) Just knowing the characters that she's played um, in general, I, I, I was distracted by this more serious, more troubled persona that she was doing. Um, and it, it was fascinating, but like, I'm still trying to figure it out that like the same person played both of those. Right. Well, there were a lot of, there were the similarities in that in both roles, she's uh, sort of working herself into attracting these men. Right. Um, and, it's definitely more calculating and don't bother to knock and that she sort of has uh, an end goal in mind, which is that she wants to get married and to a man with money who can sort of take her away from this like horrible life that she, you know, is trying to get out of history and mental institutions. And then in seven year itch, I don't really know what her end goal is because it's definitely not to get married, as she clearly states. Is she, is she enough of a character to have goals? You yeah, know? that's like, a good question. Exactly. Um, but she definitely can, like, you know, work her way into the heart and probably pants of any man. Right. Mm-hmm. And that's something that I thought about definitely while watching both movies and comparing them. Mm-hmm. I was, I think that I really related to her character in Don't Bother to Knock just as a someone who moved to New York from my own, you know, very marginal background. And had just, you ever been in a hotel before? Uh, it, I had never been in a hotel like that before. I mean, still maybe never have. But there is something about the way that you can show up in the city and people will just, you know, usher you in to these situations that are completely inappropriate. You know, like you're looking at her and you're like, who hires a babysitter like this? You know, <laughs> but I mean, you know, when I first moved here, one of the first jobs I got was working in childcare, And I became like, you know, 
these people relied on me for everything and they had never even seen my driver's license or knew anything about like my life except for what I told them. That you know, people in New York are really lax about checking your references, I found. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, you it's 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 it felt very true to life in that you can just wander in somewhere and and present yourself as something and people will just take you right at your word and, you know, set you off on your way and put a, a weird amount of trust in you. Yeah, I was going to ask, is it just this level of trust that people have? I think we just don't have time. Or, <laughs> we were yeah. Like, yeah, you'll do. Like, um, Yeah, I don't, I don't think it's even trust. It's just, yeah, it's no time and also, like, what is the worst thing that could happen? Right. This city <laughs> is so full of nuts. Like, this person looks okay. Yeah. I, um, and then if you look like her, then you've got something going for you also. So it's like, oh, you're good. You know, like, you're, you, you, you're beautiful. So yeah, that's fine. That's, how bad could it be? How, how, how bad could it yeah. be? But it's, yeah, I think in a way, like, we're all, in the city, we're all very distracted mm-hmm. is something. And that's what is so interesting with that movie, too, as a sort of New York movie. Uh, I, I believe it's set in New York. Isn't that right? It is, yeah. Yeah. That um, so much of it just takes place up in the, these, like, empty little hotel rooms. So you have, like, the bustle that you see little bits of downstairs and then these like weird lonely situations like mm-hmm. that I got a real feeling in that movie of those times even as a teenager babysitting where the kid has gone to bed and you don't know what to do and the people like you know like they have TV but like it's Sunday and nothing's on mm-hmm. or whatever and you're just kind of like hanging around in someone's house waiting occupying their space like a stranger. So. Right and how can you not want to go through their stuff? Yeah I mean we've all done that right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Of course but no. <laughs> did you ever like if the kid was annoying would you ever think about tying him up or tossing him out the window like Marilyn almost did well god that's just not the kind of thing that I'd ever say in a recorded interview. <laughs> obviously I would never ever would never and have never um but it, there's kind of a weird uh that's where you get into like a weird fantasy element True, of it yeah. where you're like okay in the small room like I have all the power where I'm normally completely powerless right and that was a big part of this. You know, she had sort of been told what to do her entire life and told she was never good enough. And mm-hmm. then suddenly she's in charge of this little girl. And maybe been tied down. Right. You know. And then she says to this little girl, like, you have to listen to me. And she's kind of, she is scary in that yeah. scene yes. even. She is very mean. I have never seen Marilyn that mean before. <laughs> I was uncomfortable. They should have made my week with Marilyn about the little have the story take place of the actress who played the little girl and her like in the set of that <laughs> oh, movie. Oh man, yeah. And how she was traumatized yeah. by Marilyn Monroe. Yes, yes. Um I liked how much time we spent with Marilyn's character in Don't Bother to Knock. Like we really yeah, we get to see her just sitting there putting on earrings, just being quiet and not saying anything. But then what made the movie less than good for me is then we do go back to the male character and overall the arc of the movie is the change that happens in him mm-hmm. and that was frustrating because the way to tie up the story is that we find out that he is compassionate and that an understanding heart huh. he has exactly yes. and that now he can be with his girl because she saw him interacting with the you know mentally troubled Marilyn. How nice for everyone. I know. I mean, she's like the vehicle that helps men find out what's really important to them. She helps them find out that they still love their wives, (laughs) that they do want to settle down and get married. Is there ever, I mean, and I don't have a knowledge of many of her films, but um, 
is there a is there a role where she is the person that has the character the main change or is she always the sort of catalyst to other people's changes that's a good question i i only of the three that i've seen i can't think of any character that she's had that fits that description uh as a love triangle um I don't know if it's expert or enthusiast. Um, I did do my thesis on them. I, I would like to point out that in most love triangles, the woman is the vehicle to men either bonding with each other or changing. It's very rare that it's like a woman is in love with two men and, you know, it's about her. It's generally about them and their differences and how they eventually figure things out and become friends or, you know, challenge each other and one wins. Mm -hmm. And the woman just is sort of ignored and cast aside by the end. Yeah, she's only, you know, just a reflection of whichever suitor she chooses. Mm. Interesting. And kind of depressing. Yeah. I'm sorry. Eleanor, you watched My Week with Marilyn, correct? Yes. I didn't watch it. I was really curious to see what you thought now after watching these movies. Well, that movie is more about the uh, the author of the book and the, the writer of the, the story who we basically just sort of have to take him at his word of how he portrays this, you know, alleged affair that he had with Marilyn as uh, he was working on this film with her. Um the whole thing is from his perspective, right. where, you know, he spies on her having spats with her husband, Arthur Miller. She sort of uses him to, like, build herself up and make herself feel good, and he becomes her confidant. Mm. Did any of that really happen? Do we know? It sounds like another fantasy. It sounds like another fantasy, mm -hmm. exactly, where she is this sort of untouchable fantasy mm -hmm. woman that deigns to give him the time of day. And Just like one of her characters. Yeah, yeah. and it yeah. changed his entire life. Mm. Except in this fantasy, she's not just the pouty, pretty blonde. She's also the weeping, broken down. You know, she really needs his support and help. Right, and he, and it seems like men before him and men after him want to be in the role to save her um, from... Wait till that goes by. Now the plane flying overhead is perfect because it's just like in Don't Bother to Knock. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Philip! <laughs> Philip, where are you? Um, yeah, men want to save her, and um, but then, you know, get into the all the ugliness in her character, her emotional problems, mm -hmm. and... Um, you know, see too much of her. She stops being the dream. She stops being, uh, you know, the beautiful image and starts being a real person. And that's like, oh, too much. Yeah. Well, it's not even a real person. Like they can either picture her as this perfection or, you know, way low, this person who can't even have any self-confidence. So it's like they can't just be equal to her. They can't see her as a normal person. It's just either she's less than or just too much. Mm -hmm. I noticed, you know, the movie got pretty mixed reviews and obviously Michelle Williams, you know, got a lot of attention for it. But I, my, my theory is I, it didn't do very terribly well. And I just have a theory that people aren't interested in seeing her portrayed. You know, they, it's happened over and over again. You know, you have like uh, Norma Jean in Maryland, mm -hmm. you know, and mm -hmm. uh, she turns up here and there. Um, and it's like a momentary thrill because it's like exciting. But I just think that she's still kind of very alive to people in their imaginations and mm -hmm. very specific. And I, and while people are definitely fascinated by her character and her life, they just 
I don't think are interested at all in in a portrayal of something that is so fixed in their imagination. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It just seems like the worst possible position you could put an actress in. Not because they wouldn't be able to capture, you know, the beauty or like the talent or whatever, but just because I just don't think people care. Right. Like even, you know, you can portray her as the sex symbol. You can portray her as a human, um, but you know maybe people will just chalk that up to fantasy and like maybe she probably wasn't really like that or yeah you know that's not what the real Marilyn was like you know how how would we even know i felt that way a little bit about the whole thing with um was it kate blanchett in the aviator as katherine hepburn mm-hmm. oh. where that's another one where you know she did she did great but like i just don't think people are that interested in seeing that because she's still very alive and i think the best sort of biographical roles are the ones where again where you're kind of like um you get to fill in something that's missing like Meryl Streep and you know as Julia Child for example Julia Child was a sort of a two-dimensional figure like very Mm -hmm. friendly and very familiar Mm -hmm. um but still sort of like two-dimensional um she doesn't have she does not have flesh impact thank goodness (laughs) and uh she you know and so there's suddenly room to like breathe her like breathe life into her yeah but you give someone who is just like who is known for being completely vital you know vitality incarnate Mm -hmm. and like what is an actress supposed to do with that yeah and that has to do a lot with i think what you guys were saying about the way that she acts is she is like this emotional sponge where you know she just you know gives all of that on screen Mm -hmm. and so you feel like she already has so many dimensions and we can never know what was going on through her head that is making her just exude all this like passion and all this fear and everything that she put into her acting Mm -hmm. um and and maybe you know knowing more about where that comes from or psychoanalyzing it to death like will never be satisfying that's what i think makes the movie mommy dearest so good is that you know because joan crawford had a very similar upbringing to you know she had a bad home life started from nothing she became this huge sex symbol um and the movie is such a distortion you know even if lots of it is true which i you know believe to the bone that most of those (laughs) details are completely true even if some of them have been sort of um, retracted at this point um it's because it's it's so far aside. Like if someone did a movie about Marilyn Monroe that wasn't about showing who the real person was and was about taking her as like a, a figure and picking her apart in a really weird way that made, you know, that was, out, again, out of even further out of touch with reality, I think people would love it, you know? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I, th- I, I think it would do really well. Um, the, the problem is... Uh, there's always the backlash, you know, of people who, like with Joan Crawford, like people, that movie, Mommy Dearest, will never go away. People will always watch it. People will always love it. And they will always believe, like, a lot of it, especially because of how unbelievable it is. Mm-hmm. So making a fairly pedestrian, like, behind-the-scenes Marilyn Monroe project just seems like the opposite way yeah. about it. And it was, you know, it was definitely exhilarating in some ways to see Michelle Williams, like, being like Marilyn, but she could never be Marilyn because right. mm-hmm. no one can be Marilyn. And she did a great job and Michelle Williams is actually another one of those actresses that is so watchable. Oh yes. And you just can't take your eyes off her. She you know is whatever role she's doing. Even even back to Dawson's Creek. Yeah. Um maybe if an unknown actress did a version of her it would be more interesting and less distracting. Like Michelle Williams is just a little bit too 
like we know a little bit too much about her and we've seen her in enough movies yeah um that like we can't forget that it's michelle williams right Mm -hmm. kind of like with angelina jolie in that movie gia you know, mm-hmm. where, like, oh, everyone, yeah. like, that came out and everyone was like, who is this woman, you know? Yeah. Because it, it gave her, like, a fantasy to embody before she, like, had already made one around herself. Mm-hmm. Did either of you see The Notorious Betty Page with Gretchen Maul? Yes. I did. Yeah. And, and I, I thought she did a wonderful job of that. Oh, like, my God, yeah. Again, I, I was reading reviews of it and everyone seemed to kind of baffled by it because they're like, this is, like, the least introspective, you know, movie ever. Like, she doesn't... You know, like, no one is particularly interested in exploring what's on her mind or anything. But just watching someone wear that skin was really fascinating. I thought it was a great job. Another one like that is um, um, Marion Cotillard playing uh, oh. Edith Piaf right. in La Vie en Rose. Mm-hmm. And she was pretty unknown before that role came out. Right. And she is scary I haven't seen as Edith yet. Piaf in that movie. But um, They should have done them together with uh, Gretchen Maul and Marion Cotillard and done, like, you know, Betty and Edith. You know, like, <laughs> find a way to spin them together. Yeah, um, but it, it just worked. Wow. I think she got an Oscar for it, so I think other... She's been well compensated. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so I, I did come up with um, with my name for the podcast. Excellent. So, because I, I mentioned uh, Pick Up on South Street, which uh, I think uh, which starred Thelma Ritter, the amazing Thelma Ritter, who I believe was nominated for an Oscar for that movie. And her character in that movie was a professional police informant named Mo. So I'll be Mo. All right. So this has been Bonnie and Maud and Mo, mm-hmm. the film podcast, um, with our wonderful guest Tom Blunt. Thank you so much for coming on oh, the show. Thank you so much. It was great. And um, let's use this moment to like pitch our respective things that are coming up. Your podcast taping. My podcast taping is October third at six thirty p.m. in Brooklyn at Word. You can find us at Evening Dilemma. We're going to have a bunch of crazy guests and weird interludes and free pizza. So we welcome you. You cannot go wrong with that. And Ksenia, there is a bad movie event coming up. Tell us about it. On September 19th, uh, my friends from the Flophouse and my partner, my I Love Bad Movies partner, we're doing an event called Bad Movies and the People Who Love Them at Public Assembly at 8 p.m., I believe. (laughs) Cool. So if you have no idea what kinds of people love bad movies, come here and gawk at them and then talk to them. Um, and as of course you can find Bonnie and Maud um, on Twitter that's our Twitter handle on mm-hmm. Facebook on Tumblr which is maybe where you're listening to this right now on iTunes and please if you enjoy these episodes leave a short review we would really appreciate it cool thanks for listening thanks bye thank you bye cloning her yet i don't know we would have to grow her like on a mouse's back or something (laughs) or as part of a sheep yes